I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. All right, guys, welcome back. Yes, this is the Purple Patch Podcast, and as ever, your host, Matt Dixon here, and today... We're going to continue our conversation on nutrition. You know by now it's a key pillar to your performance no matter what your level or expectations are. And I will say this is part two. If you missed last week, stop your Walkman, rewind the tape a little bit, go back and listen. I think there's some really important foundational coaching information that helps set the stage for today's conversation. Today we bring in Kyla Chanel. Kyla is the resident Purple Patch nutritionist, works with a lot of my professional athletes, very busy and time-starved individuals as well. She's wonderful personality, but also a wealth of information. And I think you're going to find today's conversation interesting, but also help you continue to frame what can be a really confusing and emotional subject. I will say, stay tuned after the show. You can learn how to win a free consultation with Kyla. We want to hear from you. We want to hear about your best snacks that you use with your fueling. But more of that after the show. For now, let's talk about word of the week. We like the way he thinks. Serious with the way. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the dictionary word of the week. Yes, the word of the week. One of my favorite words, resilience. If you are committed to performance, you are going to meet adversity on your journey. And in fact, it's foolish to presume or even hope otherwise. In fact, I encourage you to lean into the undeniable fact. While we always anchor in best habits and do our best to avoid, adversity will come. The most successful athletes I work with, irrelevant of how, what level they are, but the ones that really thrive, create great longevity, evolve from a place to somewhere that they cannot even imagine in the realm of their own personal performance. Those are the ones that develop great resilience. The route to resilience is, yes, the learning and wisdom of the experience that you navigate on your performance journey. There's also a real awareness that needs to happen so that you actually develop positive management skills when you do go through tough situations. But you have a much greater potential to become robust or resilient if you have a platform of health and you develop skills and habits that enable you to not become overstressed. When you are underfed, underfueled, compromised sleep, and globally underrecovered, you become fragile, emotionally and physically fragile. It is a byproduct of the accumulation of too much stress. And so, not only is resilience about toughness, it isn't just about drawing lessons from the inevitable experiences of struggle or failure, but it's about setting yourself up for success. We need resilience to ultimately perform. And the first step to get there is a wonderful platform of health. And with that, our word of the week is resilience. Now let's get on with your meat and potatoes. All right, the meat and potatoes this week, and I'm excited to have 
Kyla Chanel with us discussing a subject that is one of a source of confusion, frustration, and great anxiety for many performance-driven people. We're going to talk about nutrition, fueling, and hydration. Kyla, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Let me give the crew listening just a, a few points of your background. So you came from the UC Davis Clinical Dietetics. You worked uh, alongside Dr. Liz Applegate. Yes. And went through sports nutrition with the collegiate athletes at UC Davis. Mm-hmm. And then I had a, uh, a wonderful opportunity where you studied underneath someone that's a good friend of mine, Dr. Stacy Sims, and uh, was trained in gender-specific fueling and hydration, obviously a passion of Stacy's, and now you are, a, by definition, an expert in yeah. that as well. <laughs> uh, born and raised in West Marin in Northern yeah. California, so you're just up the street from us. And, mm-hmm. uh, and luckily for Purple Patch, you are the resident nutritionist for Purple Patch Pros, as well as the amateur athletes. Uh, Your company, Nutrition Revolution, and it's fair to say that I think under Nutrition Revolution, your passion, your expertise is really around the performance-driven and athletic-minded individuals. So this is really pertinent that we're going to have this conversation today because we are going to talk about nutrition through a performance lens. Right. And uh, we'll go from there. So, So let's get cracking. Beyond, obviously, the bio, the fact that we now know that you went to UC Davis, why don't you just give us a little bit on on your background growing up, your interest in sport, your education? Mm -hmm. Give us a couple of minutes. Yeah. So I grew up playing sports. I particularly played basketball. My dad was a big basketball player when he was back in high school. So got into that. I had a little bit of sports-induced asthma during that period and kind of always wondered about my performance and how to make it better, um, you know, lapping up and down the court. Um, and then in mid high school, my dad, um, took me out on a mountain bike ride on his hardtail mongoose. It's designed for a six foot four man. Um, (laughs) and it was brutal, but also so fun. I ended up falling in love with just being outside on the trails. And, and so that kind of sparked my kind of endurance, um, interest. And then of course, um, went to UC Davis, like you mentioned, um, you know, got to work, um, study nutrition, which was mainly based in a hospital setting, but I got the opportunity to work under, like you said, Dr. Liz Applegate, who worked with the collegiate athletes and, um, helped with their fueling and all the different, um, you know, sports that we have there, which was cool to see the, variety and different recommendations across different fields of sport and then yeah lucky enough to kind of run into Stacy and she really took me under her wing and and um you know showed me stuff that I never learned at Davis in regards to gender specific requirements in hydration and fueling which was so amazing and um you know, really lucky to have that opportunity. And she kind of put me in here with you guys. And, and for, uh, for people that don't know Stacy, so Stacy was the, f- the founder of Osmo Nutrition. And, and prior to that was the head of performance at Stanford. Her book, Raw, mm-hmm. um, I think is a great resource specifically for, for women in, around uh, all aspects, not just nutrition. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and she's now uh, moved down to New Zealand. She's a senior research fellow at the University of Waikato, yes. I think that's yeah. the, the way they pronounce it. Um, so, so let's dive into that. Actually, before we do, I want to dive back, go back a little bit because you were initiated into mountain biking. Yeah. 
in the birthplace of where mountain biking was actually created, right. many would say in Marin. So you, you were born actually for San Francisco listeners specifically. You mm-hmm. you actually grew up just the other side of White's Grade, which right. is the bursting away from the last town mm-hmm. in San Francisco, in, in um, the string of the Marin towns right. to the bursting out of the countryside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it couldn't have been a better sort right. of introduction to, to <laughs> the birthplace of mountain biking, essentially. Yeah. Um, you had that. Let, let's go back to Stacey. I think that was a, a really sort of seminal moment for you as a, as a dietitian, yeah, like meeting her. And how did that that experience, how did that open up your eyes? Because you mentioned it, yeah. you know, you, you saw things or you learned things that probably weren't even in your, your psyche as a nutritionist right. at that time. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, going from um, Davis where it was clinical-based, so we're learning, you know, general nutrition for your standard American individual non-athletic and demands and requirements for them or demands and requirements for them in a hospital setting. And then, you know, again, touching on getting kind of, I knew I didn't want to go into a hospital setting. I knew I wanted to work with athletes, particularly for my own selfish needs, because I wanted to perform better in what I was doing. And, um, and then, you know, bumping into Stacy and her just fielding me all these research papers to read and, um, you know, just letting me essentially ask her tons and tons and tons of questions. I'd come to her office with, you know, and open up my laptop and there would just be lists of questions that I'd sit there and she would just patiently, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. answer them and, and explain things to me. And um, it was really amazing. And, and, and um, you know, learning the differences again that I was never made aware of in college um was really of course interesting being a female because of course she's specializing in that and and stuff that just was like was one of those things that just was like that aha moment like oh my gosh this makes so much sense why why doesn't everyone know this men and women I mean it's it's important to know especially if there's males who are coaching women too is really important so to know that and know that you know yes, this makes sense and why this is happening um, was just really awesome news to hear and then to um, help get that word out there was and, awesome. And, and uh, you know, the one thing that I've really noticed uh, now working with you for for a couple of years is that, f- firstly, that was a unique opportunity. It wasn't like there was a team of nutritionists under Stacey. You Mm-mm. had a, a, a long one-to-one relationship where you you got to sort of really draw or wring the sponge of all of her knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I've really noticed that I think has been empowering for you and, and wonderful for the Purple Patch athletes and obviously the athletes that you work with, which we'll talk about in a second, is you seem to have taken that uh, tutorial, internship, um, wh- whatever you might call it, but you've made it your own as well. So you've also, you've, you've, connected and um it's not just a, a miniature version of stacy it really is kyla's methodology mm-hmm. and, and and so it's obvious to me that she's been a wonderful influence to you at the same time i i really see um the growth of a very strong nutritionist that that can really apply and, and one thing that i think you do very very well is dial the complex to the simple mm-hmm. to make it very practical and um and I think that's a really valuable thing. I, I want to go back really quickly. Mm-hmm. Y- you mentioned your asthma. Uh, yeah. You mentioned, and we talked about who you got to study. Was was the asthma a, a part of the catalyst of you actually getting interested in in the subject? What was the thing that was the was there any seminal moment of the the 
the um, the catalyst of you really getting interested in the subject at large? I mean, the asthma was definitely a, a contributor in sports performance, absolutely. And then post kind of discovering this asthma in, in when I was playing basketball, I ended up figuring out that I had a couple allergies as well, food allergies, and that kind of helped hone in and um, opened my eyes to, again, that whole world too, which is huge and what's going on with the body and, and um, when someone has a sensitivity or an allergy to, to a food and making sure that that's not you know something that's continuously present in your diet and how that can affect your performance and your digestion and your energy and all the factors. And so that really, that's when I was like, I know I want to study nutrition and it just evolved from there. And then, and then obviously grew with your, your main passions being the, the performance driven individual. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's not just the elite athlete. Yeah. It's not necessarily even the competing athlete in many ways. You right. Know? Yeah. So with nutritional revolution, I work with all levels of athletes, um, not just endurance athletes. I've worked with CrossFitters. I've worked with NHL players. I've worked with jujitsu, um, competitors. So there's a range, but there's, there is, um, that realm where the, they are active and wanting help in that world, whether it's, you know, getting down to a weight where they can perform better or just support their performance better. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it is a range. Well, well, let's get into it a little bit. What, what, how do you see the role of proper nutrition in performance? And, and I think I would say that performance in sport and life, if you want to think about that, when you, when you think about what's the role, how does it, how does it actually, uh, define performance yeah i mean nutrition obviously plays a humongous role not just in performance but if we can make sure that our nutrition is lined appropriately for just general health i think you're you're on to something there and i think you know most people don't even have that part dialed in um and so if you can get that dialed in and and then you know use that with your performance you're gonna be ahead of the game and and with it if you had to at the highest level uh what are the most important elements to get right for the performance in, in minded? Yeah. So if you are an, you know, a high performing athlete, you know, recovery is going to be critical post your training session to make sure that you're, you know, minimizing that uh, muscular breakdown that, that occurred during your training session. Um, you know, replacing your, um, in terms of that recovery, you know, protein and carbohydrates are what you really want to shoot for. And, um, carbohydrates are going to help pull in the amino acids from the protein as well, but they're also going to help replace that muscle glycogen that you kind of burned through during your training session. Okay. So recovery Recovery is is critical. It's almost the catalyst. It's interesting, uh, you know, in, in the supporting sort of other side of this, uh, this discussion on nutrition from a coach's lens, uh, the the other episode that we're doing on nutrition is just me myself and I talking yeah. about it from a coach's <laughs> lens and the thing that I first focused on and is exactly that we have to get the recovery right mm-hmm. if we're going to get anything else right, right ultimately which becomes so important mm-hmm. so when you see athletes at large uh, across the full spectrum and uh, not necessarily endurance athletes but but you know, all athletes, all, all performance-driven people, what are the biggest challenges that you see that most people face? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I honestly, I feel like I see it all, but some of the big contributors really are, you know, underfueling. I see that quite often, especially in endurance sports where you're putting a lot of time out there, um, you know, on the bike or in any of your activities and kind of fueling outside of training or, uh, nutrition outside of training doesn't 
it's not thought about as much because you're spending so much time doing other stuff that sometimes can be put on the back burner. So, you know, making sure that you are getting enough calories for what you're doing is going to be key. And then I also see a lot of athletes because potentially they're time crunched, they're consuming a lot of stuff from packages, which is not ideal. Um, you know, getting some whole foods is going to be important. Um, and then, you know, of course, timing of eating is key too. I see it all over the board with that. I see people who go, you know, without breakfast and sometimes without lunch and then just consume a massive dinner. Um, and that's just not going to support your performance. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and we're going to definitely get into that. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to be a bit unfair on you here. I'm going to force you into my way of thinking and, <laughs> um, uh, and, and to, to explain what I mean, I, as an educational role for athletes, I tend to separate out their fueling, which is the calories, um, in and around their workouts mm-hmm. and, and immediately following in their nutrition. So, right. so let's talk about nutrition first through yeah. the, the sort of Matt Dixon purple patch lens. So what, what we're talking about here is your breakfast, lunch, mm-hmm. um, dinner and snacks, you know, daily eating habits. Yeah. Is there, when we think about daily eating habits for the athlete and then the everyday person, is there a, a big difference? I mean, overall calorie consumption, yes, there's a big difference. Um, you know, your endurance athletes could be having to consume 6,000 calories a day, depending on what they're doing, their body size, um, their gender, all of those factors. Whereas your typical, you know, non-athletic individual might be 2000, maybe less depending on what their dimensions and, um, are, but yeah, it's definitely different. And then, you know, carbohydrate intake for an athlete is going to be really important in terms of that recovery, um, that I touched on earlier. And, the non-active individual it's not hugely necessary they're not doing high bursts of intensity they don't need um you know glycogen ready to to burn mm-hmm. um so yeah there's some big differences there and and uh is it pretty common for you would you say that um do many endurance athletes underappreciate how much they have to eat to support the training i think so i've um excuse me, I've worked with, you know, several athletes where I put together a plan for them and I hear back, you know, within a couple of days, like this is a lot of food. And, um, and so it's, it's teaching them how to manage that and making sure that they're timing it obviously appropriately. So they're not consuming massive meals before going out for a run, but, um, but getting them to realize, yeah, you do need that many um, calories. You got to consume that. There's a coaching role there as well, isn't it? There's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because that's an emotion that people have to get under. I mean, mm-hmm. I see a lot um, uh, body fat retention mm-hmm. that occurs because of under eating, basically, right. and uh, this sort of starvation. That maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, when that's occurring, there's this real emotional bridge where you're suddenly saying, "Hey, if you want to." shift your body composition you need to eat more right and they probably have this feeling hang on i'm not a foie gras goose (laughs) you know so it's 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 counterintuitive and Mm -hmm. yet it's sort of probably really 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 common and yeah there must be a coaching element that you have to do an education element Mm -hmm. to say this is why this is the important part of it right yeah yeah it's i think it could be a slow steady approach for most people it's not something that's going to happen overnight um you know learning to it's habit changing so yeah. it's learning to learning those new habits. And there's that habit changing again. I'm 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 coaching generally. I'm very very large on on habits. <laughs> that magic word. So so let's stay with daily eating and let's talk about just that habits and when an when an athlete or a client comes to you, what do you think the biggest challenge points or confusion points are for some of the stuff that that you see for the athlete? 
I mean, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there um, in terms of nutrition and fat diets. Um, so there's definitely confusion usually coming with that. Um, I get all kinds of questions about, should I train fasted? Should I um, not consume carbs? You know, all those types of things. Um, you know, the keto world is really blowing up right now and the, um, you know, lower carb, higher fat diet, the, the paleo diet, things like that. And um, I think there's benefits to each one that you can pull and implement for an athlete um, to take into their daily diet. It, it's um, let, Let's say that because I think most many people will be very interested on that subject of keto diet, high fat, low carb, etc. I mean, firstly, there's a difference between genders on, on the effectiveness of that. Yeah. So yeah. male, female, what, what's the main difference that you see there? Yeah. So that's a good question. So with the, um, lower carb, higher fat diets, the studies that have been done on them really have only been done on men. So that's something for the women to really consider. Um, I get a lot of questions for the low carb, high fat in terms, particularly for those trying to lose body fat. Um, and again, studies were done on men. The men did lose body fat. Were they endurance athletes? I don't know. Probably mm -hmm. not, right? Um, the other thing with women is that we need these hormones to continue our cycles. So when women do a low-carb, sorry, yeah, low-carb, high-fat um, diet, they content their their body senses that they're in a period of stress so their cortisol is high and so when their cortisol is going to be elevated and trying to maintain that elevation it's essentially going to start pulling from their progesterone and estrogen and that's going to impact their cycle um, so that can absolutely become problematic and if they're maintaining this high elevated stress state that's also when their body wants to start holding on to fat of course yeah so and it's um it, one thing so so there, there's a, a yellow flag on that. You know, it's maybe not a big, bold red flag, but there's a yellow flag. And, and I think it's evangelism is a, a huge part because the, the, the birth of, of these diets um, come out of, I think, a, a good place where there's no doubt that the overconsumption of sugar Absolutely. is on the other side is an equal, if not worse, right. challenge for, a, for Western society. Yeah. yeah? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, there's a, there's a place for it for sure. And I think with athletes, you know, carbs can't, you know, are necessary to get the best out of your performance and recover. And then, you know, tapering those carbs as you go throughout the course of the day, so long as your training's, you know, generally focused towards the morning, um, you, you really don't need a ton of carbs in, in the evening if your training was in the morning. So making sure that you're focusing those carbs around your training and optimizing that intake and, and uh, replenishment of the glycogen is important. It's interesting. You know, I, I have some athletes that are actually very well known and, um, and have leaned into some of the concepts of low carb and high fat, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera, and, and being very effective doing it. But the interesting thing about it, about it as, as an athlete, they have applied it to their athletic world. Mm -hmm. So rather than just looking at the internet and saying low carb, high fat and converting to that diet, they have taken concepts of it. Right. Uh, and then when they have a key session that's challenging or when they're doing a session, they sort of proverbially wrap the workout in carbohydrates. Right, yeah. And interestingly, that many people don't understand is if you look at their race fueling, it's pure sugar. Right. It's yeah. pure sugar. <laughs> and so they're not having avocado or olive oil. 
they are consuming pure sugar. Yeah. So there's, and, and so there's no doubt as we come into it, and, and particularly when we think about male athletes, mm-hmm. that uh, plenty of fat is a good thing globally. We'll just keep it globally. We we need all three macronutrients. Right. So absolutely. Much is the timing, and so so yeah, there are some great elements to mm-hmm. it. But I think it's dangerous for basically any sort of evangelical diet has never been shown to be an ultimately long-term successful. Right, is, yeah. Uh, is, is a huge component to it. Um, so, so, so let's get practical. Um, and with some of the challenges that we talked about, let's, uh, let's talk about that because you talked about the timing and the, and the calories. So let's do some basic rules of eating. And, and I, I want you to go back because I, I think that that was really important. You sort of mentioned, I think, front-loading calories and carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Why don't you talk about that a little bit to practical steps of people that want to Im- actually implement yeah. maybe some habit change? Yeah. So like I mentioned, you know, most athletes, and not all, of course, but if your trainings are in the morning, you know, that, that early morning swim, maybe you come home, have breakfast, and then you maybe go out for another session, strength, whatever it is, um, and those trainings are focused, you know, towards the morning, you can really taper not just your carbs, but also your calories throughout the course of the day. So your larger meals, more calorie dense meals are, are, you know, in the morning and then they're tapering down throughout the course of the day along with those carbohydrates. So, um, you know, as we get older, we become more sensitive to carbohydrates. Um, and especially so with women, um, as we get older and that also is enhanced in the later afternoon. So, you know, the same hundred grams of potato in the evening is, um, going to have a greater effect than if we had that hundred grams of potato in the morning. Interesting. So, yeah. uh, so it is, there's a nice thing and, and, and it makes it, I mean, the message out of it is not just, um, from you, the nutritionist saying, Hey, you get a chance to actually front load and taper both in, in carbohydrates and your calories from a coaching lens. It's, if life allows it and you're doing single sessions a day, it's easier to manage that side of it if you can do morning workouts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, I, and I really like that if it's, I, I'm less of a fan. It's not to say that you're failing if you can only train in the evenings, but, but certainly from a very busy time-staffed athlete, if you do get to train in the mornings, I think it sets you up for success. And yeah. look, ultimately our parents used to say breakfast was the most important meal of the right. day. And they were absolutely, <laughs> absolutely right, weren't they? So yeah. um so that that's great. So so when you think about the three macronutrients, and if, if you if you don't know much about food, um, although everyone knows a lot about food because mm-hmm. everyone likes bacon, but um, <laughs> so macronutrients, fat, protein, and carbohydrates. If you if you did have to sort of make a broad generalization of of makeup of mm-hmm. uh, of the hundred percent, how much of them are, are coming from from yeah. each of those? Yeah. So once you find your caloric intake, and again, that can vary day to day, but you want to shoot for about 40% of those calories coming from carbohydrates, 30% coming from fats and another 30% coming from protein, roughly speaking. Just Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, so 40, 30, 30. And then as you mentioned, that doesn't mean that every single meal has exactly the same ratio, but right. that's the, the total uh, caloric side. Right. So what does that mean uh, when you think about portions? 
yeah. of each. Is there is there a rule of thumb that we can use? Is there? Yeah. So like a rough guideline for protein um, intake, I recommend generally in the range of 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of body weight. Um, and then, you know, with your carbohydrates, those are going to vary again, based on the training, but it can be somewhere in the range of one to three grams per pound per day, um, depending again on that training level. And then fat's probably about half um, a gram per pound of body weight. So, and again, that's around 30% of your total calories. Okay. And, and that's still, that's a lot of fat. So yeah. it's, it's not a low fat diet. Right. Right. And, um, it's just not a, uh, you just don't have to drink olive oil to get right. it. It's the, uh, the other side of it. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's sugar. Oh, I do want to go back cause I, you know, we, we sort of discussed, uh, high fat diets a little bit, but let's go to the other side of of sugar mm-hmm. and uh and we we will we, we are retaining the nutrition the matt dixon purple patch nutrition versus fueling standpoint so we're going to remove discussion of sugar in performance and training outside of it it's it is an issue in global health for our society at this time right yeah i mean we're like we're eating out a lot like i said we're a lot of my athletes are even eating out of a lot of packaged uh, foods and a lot of people don't realize that there are added sugars you know sugars can be named so many different things maltodextrin sucrose fructose um you know honey agave there's all different types that people don't realize maybe to look for on the labels when they're purchasing stuff and it's not necessary you can get your carbohydrates you can get complex carbohydrates from whole real foods you don't need to get it from you know processed sugars and 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 carbohydrates are vegetables are carbohydrates yes yeah people don't realize that sometimes you know broccoli is carbohydrates yeah it's great and you know when we think about sugar they those hidden sugars i think it's you know you go and buy a my second time in a podcast, I'm going to bring up bacon, bizarrely. Uh, it's almost like I had it this morning for breakfast. But it's sugar added to bacon, oftentimes. You Most know. of the times, yeah, to preserve the meat, there's sugar added to it. So, yeah, that's a, that can be a challenge sometimes. It's a fair enough from the performance-minded, though. There is literally no place for... Uh, no place I'm I'm I I don't like people to turn into monks globally but Mm -hmm. there is really no place for sugary beverages for coffee and sugar in coffee and uh, things like that in our general diet right I mean I think it says a lot if you you know you're an athlete and you're on course racing and coke is the that's the opportune time to have coke to think that an athlete in that scenario racing at that intensity for that length of time and that's the right time to have coke not outside sitting on your couch um you know that's never the right time to have well when you're doing that that is going uh, as i would say in english that's going straight to your hips mate right. you know it's uh, <laughs> it, because it, it will be stored most likely as fat rather yeah. than being stored as usable energy mm-hmm. basically right yeah. At least from a performance side, that stored form of glycogen, which is great. Well, as we're as we're getting towards that, why don't we talk about fueling? Why don't we talk about racing and training? Most importantly, um, you know, in the other podcasts that I'm doing on nutrition and fueling, I talk about it through a coaching lens. Mm-hmm. How do you talk? How do you go about tackling an athlete's fueling approach? I'm, yeah. I'm interested in your process of that. Yeah. Um, so like if an athlete were to have like a 90 minute trainer ride in the morning type of thing. Yeah. yeah let's do a case study. Okay. I think that'd be great. Why don't, why don't you take me through? So 90 minute trainer ride. I'm, I'm going to add to it. 
I'm imagining it's quite high intensity. Yes. So you're not just spinning there. So it's a little right. case study. Not a recovery yeah. ride. I'll go with the case study. I like that. Yeah. So if my athlete, you know, was going to have a 90 minute high intensity training ride, uh, trainer ride first thing in the morning, you know, I would like to see them consuming something before they get on the bike, ideally some carbohydrates. Um, and again, the reason behind the carbohydrates is you've just fasted all night, ideally, so long as you didn't, you know, sleepwalk to the fridge or something. Um, and these carbohydrates are going to be the fastest ones of the three macronutrients to digest and leave the stomach. So we can utilize them, uh, pretty quickly. So you don't have to sit around and wait for it to digest. Um, and then your muscles are going to be utilizing that during the trainer ride. And the fact that it's high intensity, you really want something that's going to leave your stomach quickly. It's not mm. hanging around in there if you're, um, running at a high intensity. And what does that look like? Give me a, a practical, you can tell me carbs and yeah. you know, I can, so, so what does that look? Is that a slice of toast or is that? Yeah. A- so, I mean, 20 to 30 grams of carbs is, can be, you know, it could be a roughly a banana depending on the banana size. It could be depending on the brand of toast too. I mean, some, some toasts I see these days are pretty low carb. So it might be two slices of toast. Um, but yeah, something in that range, um, it could be like a couple rice cakes if you wanted, it could be, you know, even some scoops of, um, applesauce or little bit of oatmeal with some maple syrup or something like that, um, to get your carb. And, and quite often though, so we're not talking about much. This is not your breakfast. Right. Very small. Yes. We want something small, just Usually you don't want to sit and eat a bunch of stuff first thing when you wake up before you jump on the bike. It's usually you want a quick turnaround. Um, so just getting some carbs in that can be quick and then, you know, jumping on the bike, um, you know, if a couple sips of coffee, if you need to get yourself going, um, that can work too. Can, can I just, let's say two coffees for me yeah. to get me going? So, uh, what, what about during your, um, we're going with a 90 minute case study, I think right. you said. So, um, yeah. So during a 90 minute session like that, you know, you definitely want to continue to hydrate. Cause I think a lot of people don't realize that while you're sleeping, you actually end up losing a lot of fluids. So, um, you know, while you're breathing, you're losing fluids while you're laying in bed, you're losing fluids actually via skin as well. Um, and, and of course you probably took a couple trips to the bathroom, I would think, um, before jumping on that, that bike. So hydrate is key. Um, and then you can fuel, but because you had that 20 to 30 grams of carbs prior, um, you can probably hold off on fueling maybe like 30, 45 minute mark into the ride. Um, again, because it's high intensity, you can stick with some carb dominant things, you know, whether that be, um, some chews or, um, like gummies. Um, you could even do dextrose tablets. You could do a couple slices of banana again. Um, those are going to be good kind of quick sources of carbs for you. And the lean into that of, um, of the, high sugary stuff there is because it's high intensity. Yeah. Right. So, so if you and I were going out and we were just spinning and chatting, you probably wouldn't be throwing in gummies and chews at that right, point. Right. Yeah? Right. Yeah, definitely not. And, and under, under an, if it was a 45 minute session, by you, your definite, you wouldn't need to fuel. Yeah. Yeah. You might just be able to sip just plain water as well in the situation like that. So long as you were, um, you know, you had good hydration the day prior. Okay. Yeah, yeah, of course, because that that's the stringing and the right. linking that so many people, they get to down in the weeds of right. isolated. It's like, hey, it, it, it all ties in. So let's talk about fuel following yeah. my, my passion. So recovery, again, we're back to that. That's critical. So again, focusing on some protein and carbohydrates. So if you can get to whole foods, fantastic. Um, not whole foods, the grocery store, <laughs> but yep. um, real whole foods to consume. So some lean protein, um, some carbohydrates. You want to minimize your 
fat intake just because the fats are going to be the slowest to digest and leave the stomach. So that will impair the digestion and absorption of the protein and carbs that you're trying to get to your muscles. Um, which, and it just, you know, that's, that's really, that's really interesting. So you're, uh, heavily protein and carb focused fat is great. Just not then. Correct. Yeah. Okay. That, that's, uh, um, that's important. The other thing you want to minimize is antioxidants post aerobic training as well, because that can impair your ability to adapt to your training session, your aerobic capacity. Which is really interesting because not so many years ago, 10 years ago, there was products coming out. And in fact, I, you know, was sort of looking for research of overload antioxidants. Right. Following. It's really been the latest research has absolutely flipped that on its head, right. hasn't it? Say, so actually, that's not antioxidants. So, Great examples of berries or mm-hmm. something like that. They're really good. Right. But again, not at that time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I get an, a lot of athletes who are like, they tell me they have this like amazing power smoothie post training and it has spinach and berries. And I'm like, that sounds amazing, but you need to wait and hold off just a little bit longer. Like push that out two hours post training. Um, I also see antioxidants hidden in a lot of like protein shakes. If you're someone who goes for a you know, time crunch and has to recover with the protein powder. I see them adding in, um, like vitamins, A, C, and E, those are all antioxidants as well. So that's something to pay attention to and make sure that's not added in there. That's really interesting. And and globally coming back to that, those are, if you are time time crunched or time starved, but uh, what we're really hoping for is, is real foods. Yes. That's what the the mission is. Um, and one of the questions that I get, get a lot, and I have a strong opinion on this and and it sounds like just from our discussion so far, we're going to be aligned. But fueling and training, it, it, I'll ask it like this. Does it always have to be the same so far as uh, the type of calories that you're consuming as what you're going to be doing on race day? During? You're saying during? During training. So only your training. So, so there are uh, – let me give you some context. I think it will help me. There are many coaches out there that say train how you race. So if you are going to – use Gatorade for all of your racing. Mm-hmm. Every single time you get on your bike, go for a run or swim, you must be consuming Gatorade. <laughs> yes, but I don't, yeah, I'm not a fan of Gatorade. So there, <laughs> there's definitely, um, you do want to practice with your fueling and hydration before race day. You don't want to come to race day and be like, oh, look at this new bar. I'm going to try it out. That's not the place to do that. Um, and of course there's circumstances where, you know, you drop a bottle and you have to opt for the on course hydration or something. And that's, that wasn't in your plan, but, um, there's ways we can kind of mitigate that. But yeah, you definitely want to practice with all the bars and fueling, um, hydration products, and then know come race day that your nerves and the intensity that you're racing at is probably going to bring the intake that you were used to consuming it at just down a little bit lower. So if you're, you know, consuming 200 calories an hour, you're probably going to be consuming a little bit less than that per hour come race day, just because of the, the anxiety and the intensity of racing. Now that's that, you know, I think that's worthy of pause over because if I see ha- uh, athletes habits, I will uh, often see them, uh, subconsciously or you know not realized but really under fuel during training Mm -hmm. but then they know it's so important during racing that they they do become like foie gras geese and they Mm -hmm. throw more and more in right and um and so that causes a lot of gi distress Mm -hmm. and in fact it's really train your body to Mm -hmm. be able to consume calories but on race day with the added stress both performance stress 
maybe some environmental stress and then emotional stress of right. being race day, your ability to actually absorb will go down a little bit. So yeah. you probably want to just slightly under fuel relative to, right. to what you are used to. Yeah. yeah. So during your trainings, if you can really make sure that you are hitting that goal and that you're not hitting below it, because if you're you know, you know running way below your target and then come race day, you're going to be even lower than that, and you're going to be you're going to be hurting. So so let me uh, go back because you mentioned something there, and I want to clarify because it's different than what I prescribe. So I, I want to see if I'm... So we might get into an argument here. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, uh, which is great if it is. This is uh, We don't have to be aligned on everything. But uh, I'm not a massive fan of athletes. Every time an athlete is training that they're consuming the timing and amount of the exact calories they're going to be racing on in every training session in a mm-hmm. week. So imagine if an athlete is doing 10 training sessions a week. Right. Uh, and one of them is an endurance ride for three hours where it's just low stress. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily feel like an athlete has to fuel with exactly the same pure sugar on that as mm-hmm. they might be doing on a key simulator ride. So my, my approach is to always have the athlete practice the quantity uh, type and timing of fueling and hydration mm-hmm. that they can use in race on the sessions that are most aligned with what they're going to be racing in. Right. Yeah. So. And that makes perfect sense. And if you can, you, yeah, I would, with the three hour training thing, if it's low light and utilizing sugars, I mean, that's not necessary, but if you do, you know, you do need to fuel. And yeah. so fueling with something and close to that caloric goal would be important. But yeah, the, the sugars that you use on race day, those really aren't going to be key until you're, you know, second half of the bike onto the run type of scenario. So, um, yeah, utilizing sugars like right off the bat in a very light session, maybe not necessary. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I just wanted to align on that or, yeah. <laughs> or, 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 or have it dovetail into a tangential argument, but no, I think we're, I think we're great. So let's, let's talk about, um, rules of thumb because mm-hmm. we talked about rules of thumb in your nutrition assume there's rules of thumb for fueling in racing right yeah yeah so when you're racing and you can again implement this caloric goal too during your training sessions if you'd like but um for biking you can stick to three to three and a half calories per kilogram body weight per hour and then when you transition to the run you know it's going to be that caloric intake is going to drop to around two to two and a half calories per kilogram body weight per hour and and that's uh, for for two reasons but practical number one right and, and number two you're absorption is going down because of fatigue and obviously because of stress of jiggling up and down yeah yeah yeah, your stomach is obviously jostling around um you're also um you're you've become dehydrated um to a point you know you're trying to obviously minimize that dehydration over the course of the race by hydrating but there's no doubt that you're going to come out on the other end um you know a little lower than when you started right and so your plasma plasma blood volume is going to be dropping and that's what's going to help transport those um that energy to your muscle tissue so if we can start consuming things that are going to be really easy and light on the stomach that's going to help with that transport and cause less gi stress there fantastic so so let's uh and and this might be difficult because i know that it depends on length of race as well as speed of racer Mm -hmm. um Someone that one of my pros doing an Ironman in between eight and nine hours is very different than someone doing it in 14 to 15 hours. Right. But the source of those calories, carbohydrate, fat, and protein, is there, is there a rule of thumb that you, you might say of like, hey, this is generally the, the mission? 
I mean, generally speaking, I'd, I'd like to see the athletes starting out with some mixed macronutrients. So again, a little bit of, uh, protein, carbs, and fats. And then as you go throughout the course of the race, you're transitioning to, you know, less fats then to less proteins. And then you're, you know, really carb dominant to, to ease that stress on the stomach. And what, what, when you say mixed macronutrients, uh, in real world, what is that a bar? Is that it can't be a bar. You have to be careful. I, I find that a lot of bars are probably a little too high in fat for racing. Uh, again, the fats are going to be slower to digest and leave the stomach. So, you know, bars that are high in nuts or nut butters or things like that, um, seeds, those can be a little problematic in terms of leaving the stomach. Okay. Um, so yeah, you have to watch out for that. So, okay. Um, and then we move to the, the more easily to digest that comes back to the, the choose blocks, right. Detros and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So, so let's, um, let's talk about men and women. Uh, and, uh, I think Stacy used to say, uh, her tagline was something like, um, women are not small men. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which yeah. Is, uh, which is not way to, they are different. Tell, right. Tell us about it. <laughs> yeah, we are definitely different. Um, and you know, it depends on where the female is in her cycle, um, or if she's even still having her cycle. Um, but if a woman is, you know, in that period where it's leading up to the start of her cycle, so, you know, five to even 14 days, um, before her period is about to start, you know, she's going to be ramping up her hormones. Her progesterone and estrogen is going to become elevated. Um, and when that's going on in the body, we, you know, we're running with a little bit higher, uh, core temperature. Things are going to be harder for us. We're hotter. Um, we have less, uh, sodium in our body to lose. So we will end up starting to sweat a little bit later to cool ourselves. So those in combination are going to be a little problematic, make things feel a little bit more challenging. Um, we will also have less accessibility to the carbohydrates or glycogen in our muscle tissue for high intensity activity. So we're going to, our body wants to run off of more free fatty acids. So, you know, supplying a little bit more carbohydrates, um, during that time period can help. Um, we will have a lower plasma volume. So there's a harder delivery of those carbohydrates that we're trying to get to the working muscle tissue. There's all kinds of things that can be going on. Um, progesterone's elevated. So it's a little bit catabolic or not a little bit, it's catabolic. It's going to, um, make it harder for our muscles to recover, let alone build. So there's going to be a lot of breakdown going on. So recovery is going to be really important for the female athlete as well during that time. Well, okay. yeah. It's, um, so it has a massive influence. I mean, in fact, it can have a really big influence on performance potential globally. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, if only we could choose when to, right. uh, to when, uh, or, or not we, I'm obviously not a woman, but if only as a coach, we could choose the timing and the yeah. timing of the races. Huh? Yeah. And some women can, you know, depending if they're on an oral contraceptive, they can, you know, time their, um, pills in a certain way to, to do that. But the thing with an oral contraceptive is you are putting in external progesterone and estrogen into your body. So you're, you're essentially running on a high hormone state all the time. Um, so you're to not get pregnant, obviously. So if a woman has the option to choose what type of birth control she wants to use, if she can use a more localized, um, progesterone dominant form of birth control, that would be ideal so long as, you know, that's okay for what her doctor is, is, has going on for her. So an IUD or a copper only IUD, um, is going to be a localized dose of progesterone as opposed to kind of something that's systemic and going throughout the whole body. Okay. Yeah. A few, a few quick hits. Um, 
we are, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to hold on a huge topic, okay. which is hydration. All right. And, uh, because I, I want to make sure that we focus on nutrition and fueling. We're, I'm going to ask you back and and, uh, right. <laughs> and 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 do a whole podcast just about hydration because I think it's really valuable. And in there, we're going to obviously have gender differences as right. well. Yeah. So we'll hold that topic for today. But let's do some quick topics. Okay. Um, a few things that I think are interesting for um, or, or prevalent in the athletic world. So mm-hmm. race weight. Mm-hmm. I often get questions about: Do I need to target a specific race weight? So mm-hmm. I want I want to. A minute or two, you're going to get some special Kyla quickfire responses. <laughs> Race weight, what's your lens on that? Um, you know, that's a great question. And again, I get that as well. Um, I think that it depends on where this athlete's starting from and what numbers they're really giving me in terms of what their body composition is at. I always like to have my athletes do a, um, a DEXA scan. And a DEXA scan will look at their um, body fat composition and, and what's going on right now. And then, you know, if there is wiggle room in terms of kind of getting that number lower so they're a little lighter and they're running when they're training and all that stuff if if that's realistic we can do that and maybe you know in a way that maybe they weren't doing before so they can you know again habit change and get to a point where they're managing that but I'll also say that most of the times you get down to uh again a, a race weight with air quotes um that is not sustainable all year round and that's something that's important to realize and think that you don't, you know, realize you don't need to run at that number all year round as well. It's unique to the athlete. Tracking calories. That's a, that's a challenging one because I think that depends on the individual and, um, and their history. If you're someone who comes from a history of eating disorders, I think tracking calories can, um, either cause that to come back up or cause you to stress about food a little bit more. And in that scenario, if you know yourself and you know, that's what's going to happen, that's something you should not put yourself your, yourself into. Um, if you're someone who, you know, does not have a history of that and is, you know, looking at it at a very healthy standpoint and wants to just get the numbers to, to help them create these new habits and start to eyeball and, and see stuff visually on your plate and what it should look like and then you know maybe you don't need to track anymore and you can use that eyeballing down the road and it just kind of gives you a way to start initiating those habits then I think that's that can be a good good place so so I have a feeling I know the answer of my follow-up then because uh you know we we talked about ratios and things like that and Mm -hmm. the the more obsessive can lean into this Mm -hmm. weighing food yeah I mean I think again if it's if you don't come back come from a background of of eating disorders then you know weighing your food can be a good eye opener for a lot of people again maybe just for a week Um, because I find that a lot of my athletes are just maybe piling stuff on their plate and they're not really realizing that they're really under consuming protein for example which is an important recovery um, macronutrient that we need and um, and so just having an eyeball idea of you know it's, it's much easier, I say, to weigh a chicken breast as opposed to like cutting it up and trying to shove it in a measuring cup. It's not the same. So if you can just give yourself an idea of how to eyeball it, I think it can be really helpful. It's a it's an educational tool. Absolutely, rather yeah. Rather than an obsessive component right. of, of, yeah. of pass or fail. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah, that, that, I like that. That's, that's great. Mm-hmm. Supplements. Supplements. I mean, I think that as an athlete – 
I find myself suggesting like magnesium, for example, can be really helpful for athletes. Um, you know, as an athlete, you can actually lose magnesium via sweat. So you tend to have a higher requirement for magnesium roughly by like 20 to 25% more than your average non-active individual. So that can be really important. Um, and then, you know, women might need to supplement with iron, um, possibly, um, vitamin D can be really important too, especially here in San Francisco, we get a lot of fog. So making sure that you're, um, on top of that vitamin D is something hard, that's hard to get from food. And, Mm -hmm. um, so if you can make sure that that's in your diet, that's going to be important as well. So let me ask you the headline news. If we have to wrap all that up, there's a a whole bunch of content that you just put in there. What what would be (laughs) your, what's your, what are your three to five criticals? What are are the, the must haves or the must do's for every endurance athletes? Very high level. Yeah. Must do's, the five must do's. Um, (laughs) I would say, you know, recovery is key. So let's shoot for that protein and carbohydrate dominant meal. Um, immediately post-training, you know, within 30 minutes would be ideal. Make sure that your meals outside of training are going to contain those antioxidants that we talked about, you know, avoiding immediately post-training. So get some fruits, vegetables in the course of the day. I like to see someone getting, you know, four to six cups of veggies a day. Um, Again, making sure they're not right before a run, of course. Um, And then, you know, making sure that you're not afraid of these carbohydrates around your trainings. You know, it's, we, we can consume carbs, you know, whole food carbs, um, around training would be great. And then, you know, whole food meals and and tapering those calories throughout the course of the day is, is, can be really key. Fantastic. Was that five? (laughs) That was, uh, that was, that was three to four, which is all we need. I asked her three to five. So you, you passed the test. Awesome. You you cleared the bar of mediocrity. Yay. It's uh, (laughs) it's one of my favorite dictionary sayings. Um, All right. So we have uh, one more thing to do. These are a bunch of questions that, uh, Mm -hmm. that we ask every guest. All right. And uh, (laughs) and there are eight of them, I think. Uh, They have to be quick fire. So okay. it's, it's one word to one sentence. You've got okay. to go from your gut, and you don't know what's coming here. So okay. uh, it's uh, two seconds to think and then spout it out. All okay, right. you ready? <laughs> and uh, everyone gets the same. Number one, what's the biggest challenge that time-starved high performers face? Timing, nutrient timing. Nutrient timing. Okay, good stuff. What's your number one performance habit to help daily energy? Veggies. Veggies. Lots of veggies. Interesting. All right, number three, training. Listen to music, focus on the task, or troubleshoot work problems. Oh, I'm definitely focusing on the task, if not just taking in nature. (laughs) There you go, being present. What do you wish you had more of? Time? Time, yeah. It's a very common one. Training. Do you like to fly solo or surround yourself with a crowd? A crowd is always nice. Always nice to have a crowd. Name one to two characteristics of an elite performer. I mean, motivated is obviously key. And motivated is just key. I mean, they're willing to implement it. They're they're willing to do anything. Those... Motivated twice. Is that okay? (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you motivated twice. I'll let you have that. Here's an interesting one. I think I might know the answer, but in in your life globally, but it it can also be in in nutrition. Who's been your biggest mentor? (laughs) Matt Dixon. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think we're striking about 80% there. That's Stacey uh, Sims. There you go. G- give me Stacey Sims. I, you do get brownie points for saying me, but please yeah. don't. No, Stacey Sims is great. What, what, what's your, um, and this might be very personal for you, what's your number one tip or tips for travel? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, you, going into travel prepared is key with, with uh, fueling and even hydration, bringing little single serve packets of hydration. If you know you're going to be training while you're traveling, um, portable foods, whether that's, you know, little bags of nuts and maybe some kale chips, you know, whatever it is, some jerky or something, getting some of that in while you're traveling is key. I'm not very good at math, so I didn't count the number of words there, but oh, I, I, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give it to you to end. So Kyla, thank you so much. Uh, it's been fantastic. Very interesting. Uh, it's great to, to hear your lens and, and it's also encouraging, which is no surprise because you are the purple patch resident <laughs> nutritionist, but, um, but it's great to, to really have your, your expertise. So I want to thank you for, for helping our athletes, but also for being willing to to share your, your information, your education with uh, with our audience at large. No problem. And, um, and I'm going to put you under pressure. Will you come back and do a, a hydration episode with me? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I really appreciate it. So thanks so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll look forward to the next one coming up very soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, Kyla. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope that you enjoyed the last two episodes. My coach's lens on nutrition and fueling and then the deep exploration that we just did with Kyla Chanel there we're still not finished with that nutrition pillar we have the big subject of hydration to cover off on and I'm sure Kyla will return to discuss that in the meantime I have a question for you would you like to learn more if you'd like to win a free consultation with Kyla we're going to ask you to do a little bit of homework I'd love to hear your best post-workout fueling snack I heard a great one last year from a swanier of one of the professional cyclists that listen to this, a little post-workout snack, rice cakes, avocado mashed up with banana. Gross, you might say. Actually tastes pretty good. So I want to hear, what's your best post-workout snack? Be inventive, give us some ideas. We're going to share some of the best ones. And the favorite, and perhaps the most inventive, is going to win a free consultation so that we can review your daily eating and training fueling. If you have your answers, simply email us, kerry.barrett at purplepatchfitness.com. And we'll get to reviewing that. That's kerry, C-A-R-R-I-E, dot barrett, B-A-R-R-E-T-T, at purplepatchfitness.com. Get to work, and hopefully we can get you chatting with Kyla. Next week, we go coach to coach. I invite elite running coach Steve Magnus to the show. I've got the greatest respect for Steve's work and approach and always find I learn so much from coaches and high performers from other disciplines outside of my world. Well, in our conversation, we discuss coaching, traits of excellence, and setting the stage for performance. It's a great one, but until next week, have a great week. Take care. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thanks.